Welcome to the Save by Mother Earth podcast. I'm your host, Heather Webster, and I'm so happy to be here with all of you. Today, I'm so excited to be able to share this amazing interview with John Moore. John is a shamanic practitioner and teacher who helps spiritually conscious professionals to live fuller, happier lives and find their true purpose using the world's oldest spiritual technology. John believes we interconnect with everything and everyone through a unique spark of divinity inside each person. We are co-creators of our reality. John, welcome. Welcome to the Save by Mother Earth podcast. How are you today? Thank you. I'm doing really fine on this very cold uh, New England morning. <laughs> yeah, I was just outside with the dogs and uh, frost is so beautiful how it's kind of like outlining the leaves. Yeah, I do. You know, one of the things I love about being in New England is the seasons. And, you know, people who live up here will will probably usually reflect to that. And and every phase has its own beauty. And frost is part of that for sure. Yep. I, I was yesterday I was outside when it was kind of melting off. I don't know. Did you get snow yesterday? We got like a sleep. Oh, no. Afternoon. No. no, we didn't. We got a little bit of rain, but we didn't get uh, sleet or snow. So we yeah. missed out. No snow thinking- yet. I was thinking you might be a little bit colder. I know some of my friends out West got like Western New Hampshire got some snow. So we're turning into that season. (laughs) We we certainly are. We certainly are. And we've, and we've passed Halloween and we know that, you know, living around here, you, we could have gotten snow before Halloween. So that does happen. Did you uh, celebrate Halloween or the, um, I'm blanking on the other, the Celtic Celtic. Oh, Samhain. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty, yeah, it's a pretty big deal. Um, you know, it's the, it's sort of the halfway point between, um, summer and winter and it's, you know, time of harvest and there's a a bunch of traditions around that where, you know, uh, all souls Eve, Halloween, Samhain, day of the dead is the day after all saints day, all this stuff sort of, uh, comes together in in one spot. So yeah, I do I do celebrate. I do some um, ceremony, always at the uh, uh, celebrate the the pagan uh, marks. You know, there's eight there's eight celebrations during the year, which is fun because it's not just four seasons, right? We get to celebrate the in between times, which is nice as well. Oh, that's so fun. So tell us a little bit about kind of what you do and. I know you're, you're a shaman. So can you speak a little bit to that as well? Yeah. So I do practice shamanism. I've been doing that for quite a long time and I, I teach as well. And so this sort of comes out in a couple of different ways. So I, I work with clients one-on-one doing sort of healing ceremony with them. Um, I teach classes, although the pandemic has put a little bit of a kibosh on in-person teaching, but I have, uh, I I've been taking a few, uh, students in sort of a mentoring relationship, doing some one-on-one teaching. I, I taught a class online recently, um, that presents a little bit of challenge. Uh, you know, shamanism is usually taught face-to-face and, um, and I do some coaching as well. So, um, and along with that, I do, you know, I've got a podcast and a YouTube channel and the book coming out and all kind, you know, stuff. <laughs> oh, Lots of awesome. Stuff. We'll make sure to link to that at the end of the show notes for sure. <laughs> so, um, speak, can you speak a little bit about how kind of shamans connects to like nature and all of that? I know I've always been fascinated with shamanism because of that connection. Can you speak to that a little bit? Absolutely. So, um, shamanism is, you know, as far as we know, the world's oldest form of spirituality. And it's not a religion, but it is a constellation of beliefs and practices. And one of those beliefs is animism, right? Which is the idea that at least all living things have spirits or they are spirits. Um, uh, you know, in my tradition, we extend that to things that people would consider non-living like rivers and rocks and mountains and things like that. And, you know, in lots of cultures, mountains are mountains, for example, are big spirits. So in Tibetan culture and Japanese culture um, in in the Andes, you know, the, these mountains are like are, you know, very powerful spiritual beings. And so 
Um, shamanism is all about relationship and particularly relationship to spirit. And so with that comes this connection to the natural world, um, because you can't practice for very long before you realize we're not alone. And, um, you know, our, we look at, you know, the animals and the trees and the rivers as brothers and sisters. And we live, you know, where we, many people might think about, you know, getting more connected with nature or being apart from nature. We really are nature. We're no different than the animals or the trees. We're biological and we, our relationship with nature is life-sustaining. It's, it's incredibly important. And, um, we celebrate that. We, we try to build relationship. We honor nature. Um, most people who are practicing shamanism are very ecologically minded. Uh, we tend to, you know, do things like, uh, clean, you know, cleanup projects or, or, you know, if we, if we have money donated to causes that are, are ecological, um, because we realize how important that is. And the more we lose our sense of connection with nature, um, the sicker we get as a culture, as a society and as individuals. So in a nutshell, that's sort of how shamanism relates to nature. That's so it's so powerful, right? When you realize that you're part of this bigger system, right? And I think a lot of times the way humans interact with nature is that we're superior right? and versus we are, we are like, <laughs> trying to come up with, we're like working in like connection. We're connected with them. Right. And we're completely yeah. trying, we, we can't live without nature or mother earth. Right. And so we can't, we can't survive without that. And I think sometimes we as humans take advantage of all the things that we can create and do, but down the road hurts. Yeah, ab absolutely. And if you look at, um, if you look at, uh, I, I love um, looking at indigenous cultures and particularly because a lot of shamanic practice comes from studying um, indigenous culture, not stealing from indigenous culture, but looking at what they're doing because there's so much knowledge and wisdom that has been lost by modernization. And, you know, these cultures that are still around today, you know, live really in harmony with nature and they take everything, take everything from nature, from clothing to medicine, to food, to shelter. Um, and, uh, you know, we have, you know, with modern technology and, you know, there's, there's benefits, but there's, there's drawbacks, right? We live, we get to live in a cushy house with heating and lights and talk over the internet like this, um, that sort of thing. But uh, sometimes that does lead us to disconnection and not realizing like, hey, our food comes from somewhere, right? Our, you know, if we eat meat, our food comes from the lives of animals. And if we eat plants, our food comes from the lives of, of plants. And that disconnection, um, people feel that people like, maybe on an unconscious level, maybe people are like, Hmm, you know, but a lot of people who come to me are like, I feel really disconnected or I feel like something is missing. Um, and frequently that's the case. Frequently they're not spending enough time in nature or they feel really disconnected from what they're eating, what they're consuming from the way they're spending their time, that sort of thing. So, um, for me the you know, the path of shamanism is, is one path to reestablish that reestablish that health, that connection. Um, there are, you know, there are others. This just happens to be the one, the one I'm on. Um, but yeah. How did you get to this journey? Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting. So I went through a little bit of a personal crisis in my, in my early forties. And, um, you know, I hate, almost hate to say this, but I'm turning 50 in a couple months. Um, so it was some time ago and, uh, I was doing all the things that, I should be, should have been doing, you know, talking to, talking to my doctor, talking to my therapist, going through all the stuff and, um, not too much was helping me out there. And, um, I was, you know, exercising and eating right and doing all these things. And, um, part of that was meditation. I've been a lifelong meditator and, uh, you know, I was meditating one day and I, I very clearly heard a voice that sounded like it came from outside my head that said, um, you word for word, you need to learn shamanism. And 
that was a shock to me, but it was very compelling. And uh, I knew nothing about shamanism. And I, uh, and I thought to myself, gosh, I live in Maine. I don't live in Peru or Ecuador or Siberia. And I can't, I've got kids and a job and, and I can't travel to Peru and study. So what am I going to do? And um, I, I, uh, you know, used the great shamanic divination tool called Google. And I found that there's a thriving shamanic community here in Maine. There's a rather large and, um, and some of the best teachers are here. Um, and I found, I was really fortunate. I found my teacher who is now, um, kind of at the end of her teaching career. She's retiring from teaching, teaching after this year, I believe. And, um, you know, spent years and years training with her and I had no intention of working with other people whatsoever. In the beginning, it was just totally self-centered. I'm going to work on myself. I'm going to do spiritual development. I'm going to take what I can from shamanism. Um, and then the universe always has other plans, right? The universe says, no, no, you're going to do this and you're going to find your way through teaching other people, which is really, um, I love working with people in a healing relationship and doing one-on-one sessions, but, um, teaching really lights me up from the inside. It's really what I'm the most passionate about. And so, um, you know, I've done, I've, I've been, uh, continuing to do really intensive teacher training, uh, with my, with my teacher, which will end this year because she's, um, uh, retiring after this year, Un- unfortunately for the shamanic community, cause she's just amazing. But, um, uh, so anyway, that's a, the, the short end of my path, really, that's a short explanation of how I, how I am where I am. Yeah. I, there's a couple of things you talked about that are, are, I want to kind of pull out a little bit. I like how you talked about how, when you were, going, you were doing it for yourself, right. For spiritual development, but then the universe had other plans. And I think that's a big thing right now around like manifestation. And so many people are talking about that, that you can't, you can't like figure out what your destiny or where you're going to go. You have to kind of keep that open and be open to those kind of signals that are coming in that might be telling you otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, signals is a really good word for that. Um, because, the universe will steer you if you're open to it. It will tell you, you know, sort of your true will or your true path. And um, what happens and what happened with me. Um, so this is, I, you know, certainly fell prey to this. I have this working theory called um, uh, a slap across the face with a wet fish by the universe. Um, so, so it goes a little bit like this. So you're, you're, you're not doing what you should be doing. So the universe starts sending you signals. And at the first, first, it's sort of like whispering to you, right? Like, okay, you need to go learn shamanism, go do this. Although in my case, it was a little louder than that. Cause I'm maybe a little thick and the universe knew, knew that. And I needed a, um, you know, a slap a little earlier and, um, it, starts to turn the volume up more and more. And sometimes that's in uncomfortable ways. Sometimes it's, um, you know, it puts a crisis in your path, a health crisis, a mental health crisis, um, personal, personal loss. And, you know, not to take that personally, but that's the universe steering you. And, um, if you, you know, if you don't pay attention to that, eventually you will get a slap across the face with a wet fish from the universe saying, Nope, this is, you, this is what you need. This is what you need to do. And, and I've had many of those, even, even on my, even on my path of shamanism, because I'm the type of person where I'm like, no, 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 I know what's best for me. I know, I know what I'm going to do. And ultimately that's true. We all know what's best for ourselves, but we're listening to a different part of ourselves. We're listening to the um, not so wise part of ourselves. We're, we're infinitely wise, um, but it's a matter of listening to the parts of ourselves that are, that, that have the wisdom and not the parts that they, that think they have the wisdom. That's the challenge. Yep. I, I noticed that yesterday I was doing a, a longer meditation than I typically do. And I was getting distracted by a whole bunch of things with the puppy and all of that. And after I was like, well, I didn't get any real messages for per se, but then I got sat down and did some journaling and that's when all the messages came in and I was like, oh, there they are. And it was all around, like, just be open, be open to what could come. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's a tip, really typical experience where, uh, somebody will meditate or in shamanism, we do, it's called journeying, which is sort of a really active form of meditation. 
and um, you'll get kind of a download and it won't be words. It'll take, it'll take you a while to, to parse that out in words because spirit doesn't always communicate in words. Sometimes it's metaphoric. Sometimes it's like a huge download that um, when I do one of my specialties is dream work and um, I will do shamanic dream work with people where I can, uh, you know, we'll journey into the dream and I can see all this crazy metaphoric information going on, but it means nothing to me while, <laughs> while I'm doing it. Um, it's not until I come back and get sort of into my pre back into my prefrontal cortex that I can start to make words out of it and start to start to make sense. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely you can meditate. And then that's why I think like I'm a journal junkie. I've got all kinds of journals and, um, so important, so important. Journaling can help us get that stuff out that's inside us. Even if we, you know, if you're just sort of trying to articulate it in your head, it's a di whole different process. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when I'm outside, I'll always, I'll always bring a journal with me everywhere. Kind of like you, I have, yeah. I have journals in every room and uh -huh. every time yeah. I go out, I'm like, Oh, that's a beautiful one. And I'm like, I don't need another journal, but yes, I do. Um, right. <laughs> and so I always bring a journal with me when I go out for a hike and I find that that's when, so I'm very much, and I think hu humans in general or people in general are, they get more messages, they get more insight. They're more intuitive when they're moving. Um, mm -hmm. and I also, what I really appreciate about shamanism is when the music comes in as well. Like, I think there's like something about, cause they're doing movement then too, but I feel like the and I could be wrong, correct me if, if I'm wrong on this one, but all the music I've heard during for shamanic journeying feels like you're outside, right? Like the drumming and the rattling just sounds like natural sounds. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, uh, there's very good reason for that. And you're absolutely right. Um, the drumming, uh, we call it, you know, some people, some people call it, I should, I can't speak for everybody, but when I say we, I mean, sort of in a general sense, um, it's, it's replicating what we call the heartbeat of the earth. And so that, you know, the rhythm that we're using, um, shamans have known for thousands of years to use very specific rhythms to facilitate journeying. It's not until modern ages where we have electroencephalographs that we can determine that, oh, you know, really what we're doing is we're tuning our brains. We're using this, um, you know, this, this brain thing called entrainment that the drumbeat is driving uh, specific types of brain waves called theta brain waves, which um, when people are, are in a predominantly theta state, they're very open and people are very intuitive at that part at that point. And so, um, you know, our ancestors were brilliant. They figured this stuff out without modern you know, equipment. Um, and they were really, you know, you, you realize that they're really connected, really connected to spirit, but yeah, we, you know, the rhythm, we, we do say that it replicates the heartbeat of the earth and, you know, a lot of journeying is actually, um, traveling into the earth, all of the hero stories about, um, you know, the Joseph Campbell heroes tale here of a thousand faces. Um, that is a shamanic, um, initiation. All, all of them, every hero's tale, it's a shamanic initiation. There's always a, there's always travel into the underworld, which is part of shamanic initiation, which is, you know, travel into the earth, travel to connect with the earth and come back with information or um, powers or what have you. But, you know, you can see it from Lord of the Rings and Star Wars to, you know, Gilgamesh to like, you know, all of these epic hero tales, even up to modern ages. Um, and, you know, it's kind of a nice thing for me, cause I'm really nerdy and I like sci-fi to watch these, um, watch the, I just watched the new Dune movie. Um, and I'm a huge Dune fan. I've read the book several times and the old, the old movie and the old uh, mini series I've watched several times. So, um, yeah, it's very much a hero's hero's journey, but it is all about, um, it is replicating shamanic initiation. Um, we just don't necessarily link those when we, when we watch them and they're entertaining. So. Yeah, they're saying more and more some of the movies that are like science fiction or things like The Matrix, things like that, that are really connected yeah. to um, things that, like what everybody's always known, whether they right. were in shamanism or other spiritual practices. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why these movies are incredibly popular, right? Because they, they, they remind us of they're like something familiar. There's something familiar about it. It's in our, it's in our spiritual DNA. These archetypes, the archetype of um, Neo or Luke Skywalker or Paul Atreides from from Dune, right? These these are you know, characters, the representation of that archetype, that, that shamanic awakening, there's, you know, and you always see it starts with a normal life. And then there's a call to awakening that they resist. And then there's a crisis and we get to crisis, right? Crisis is crisis drives shamanic awakening. And, um, uh, particularly during the pandemic, we see a lot of people being called, being called because we're in the middle of a, a global crisis, right? Um, you know, we're hoping that things are getting better and we see indications of that, but, um, you know, for a long time, we're in the midst of global, you know, global crisis. And, um, a lot of people have, you know, reconnected with spirit through this time as a source of strength and as a source of a source of being connected to source, you know, that sort of thing. Yep. And I noticed so many people are being called to then share it kind of like what you were saying about teaching it. I'm amazed by how many people within my podcasting course are doing similar things of sharing, getting their voice out there. And you could tell there's kind of a shift that's happening. Yeah. And it's really, really fantastic. And I'm, you know, I'm making it my, you know, my personal goal, I guess, or personal mission to, um, you know, because shamanism is my path and I love talking about it. And I do think it has a lot to offer a lot of people. Um, I don't proselytize. I don't tell people they need to come study shamanism, but for anybody who's interested, I'm putting out as much information as I possibly can um, in places where people can access it at no cost whatsoever. So they can, you know, uh, like you, they can listen to my podcast. They can go to my YouTube channel. I just put out an app and that's coming out. It's out on Android and it'll be out on iOS, hopefully in the next few days. Um, Apple's a little uh, challenging sometimes to do, but you know, it's, it's, it's a free, it's a free app that people can download and just get information about shamanism. They can hook into my podcast that way or watch videos or read articles. Um, so however people want to learn and there are drum tracks on there. So if people are learning journeying, they can pull that up and, and listen to some drumming. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm just, uh, you know, making, making that available out there and um, doing, doing my part to help people connect. I love that you put the app on uh, Android first, because usually it's the other way around. And I'm always like, I can't get what I need. (laughs) Yeah. So nerd secret and Android, the Google play store, which is where you download, download Android apps from, far easier to deal with than Apple and much quicker to get apps up. So they were, both apps were ready at the same time. It's just taking longer to, for, and my, my app is in review and for the Apple store right now. So it'll be there soon. Um, you know, as long as Apple says it's okay and it, it should. Um, so it'll, it'll be there soon for, for Apple users. I'm an Android guy. My daughters use, um, iOS. So, you know, we're, we're a mixed, we're a mixed family. So. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about, you said like, you're going to have drumming tracks on there. So how can people kind of start this? If they want to look into it more, where could they kind of, how could they start looking into journeying and what's the best process, I guess, for learning more? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so Journeying is one of those things, and there, there are people out there who have uh, recorded courses on journeying, or in there are books on journeying and all of these things. Um, I would say that journeying is one of those things, at least initially, it is far easier to learn with a teacher, either one, uh, one-on-one or in an intro class. And an intro class, intro to shamanism class, is usually a weekend. It's usually two or three days, so people can get a learn how to journey, get a sense if shamanism is a good path for them or at what level they want to engage with shamanism. Um, you know, it's not as big a commitment as say like an, an apprenticeship or a two-year program or, you know, what have you. Um, but it's a good way for people to learn the skill of journeying. Um, you know, uh, I've taught a lot of intro classes. I'm hoping to start teaching again next year. Currently I'm, I'm, 
you know, teaching people on a one-on-one basis through mentoring, but there's only so much time in the day for me to um, meet with people one-on-one. So I I would recommend if people are really interested in learning, uh, journeying, finding, um, finding somebody who's either able to mentor you or uh, finding a class and make sure that, you know, safety precautions are in, uh, you know, are in place. Um, you know, I did teach recently, I taught an intro class online. Um, uh, it, it's challenging. It's challenging to teach, teach a large group online. I think there were 20, there were 20 students and I had, uh, I had other teachers teaching with me. So one of us could be teaching while the other one was monitoring the technology and, um, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, it worked out okay, but it's, it's exhausting <laughs> and, and, and a little bit challenging, but yeah, I mean, um, if you can seek out a teacher, if you're able to seek out, seek out a teacher, um, somebody who is, is not just has practiced, but is trained in teaching because teaching and practice are two different things. I have learned that my, you know, intimately I spent, well, I spent decades teaching martial arts before this. So, um, so I did that. And then, uh, you know, teaching martial arts is different than performing and teaching shamanism is different than practicing shamanism. So, um, so find a good, you know, find somebody who has some training and teaching and, um, if you can, if you can connect, um, but there are, I mean, there, there are some online classes in shamanism, like pre-recorded stuff. Um, and, and, and that's okay. If you don't have any other option, um, the issue is if you become stuck or have an issue, um, or if you miss something, uh, there's nobody there to hold your hand or say, oh, try it this way or give you some feedback or, oh, that's a really dangerous practice. I probably would steer away from that because um, there are, you know, um, shamanism is not a gent- necessarily a gentle path and um, there are risks to some things. And, and so that's why I do really recommend getting with a qualified teacher. I could see too, like if something comes up and you have nobody there supporting you through that, especially because if you're using it as a healing practice. Yeah. Yep. And, um, you know, one, you know, one of the reasons I say it's not a gentle practice is that it really pulls the stuff up from inside you. So you're going to do your shadow work, whether you want to or not, it's going to pull your stuff up from inside you. I have been my very first day of my apprenticeship, I almost quit. Um, fortunately, I did have the support of a group, but I was in absolute tears, just a complete mess. My very first day of apprenticeship. And if I had been doing like an online class and that had happened to me, um, well, I definitely would have quit, but I also wouldn't have had any support um, to, to say, okay, let it happen you know, we're going to hold space for you. We're going to support you through this, that, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, apprenticeships are really, you know, if you get deep and in, deep into shamanism, that's sort of the next step, um, is an apprenticeship. And you, you usually meet with a circle like once a month or something for a year or longer. So you have this group of people that know you, that, that you grow closer to that really support you. I'm still in touch with people I trained with, you know, a gazillion years ago, um, you know, we're still, still close to people. I spent, um, you well, obviously spent years with them. So, um, it, it's a great, you know, it's a community is a big part of it. We don't live, most of us don't live in tribal cultures anymore. So we don't have the same, the same level of support. We're very disconnected in, in that way as well. So you were talking about how that first day was really hard. How do you differentiate the slap in the face and something is just really hard when it comes to like that spirituality piece and moving in your right direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for me, the really hard stuff was just, um, pure emotion coming up and it's coming from inside. Usually, um, the, the slap in the face from the universe, um, frequently is outside circumstances. So, um, while I was in, while I was in shamanic training, uh, I got divorced, for example, right? So, you know, my marriage ended. That is a crisis, right, of sorts, even though we're, I'm still friends and she's the mother of my children and there's no hard feelings and all of these things. It's still a huge change. It's an upset. It's, 
I, I, I talk about it. We, we consider that an initiation initiation. There might be a ceremony that you do as part of initiation, but you're really initiated by spirit and shamanically initiation is really like putting your life in one of those snow globes that you get when you're a tourist and putting that in a paint mixer at a hardware store and just shaking the heck out of it. Right. Um, so you'll know like that is, that is that, or something will happen. You'll have health crisis, um, in traditional cultures and indigenous cultures that are shamanic, you might have to be say hit by lightning, for example, to, um, be accepted into the path of shamanism. I don't recommend that. Don't do that. Um, or you might have to have a near death experience or be born with a birth defect or, but there are always signs and symbols in those cultures. Um, we're removed. Most of us, if uh, you know, unless you are part of an indigenous culture and listening to this podcast, but if you're not, you were, we're removed from that. So we don't have that same thing, but how that occurs is some part of your life will fall apart. Um, it might be your health. It might be a relationship. It might be losing a career or it might be, might be what we consider like a mental breakdown or nervous breakdown. Those kinds of things will happen. That's very different than like just a really, um, short-term, extremely powerful emotional experience. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm a guy and I was raised by, um, in, culture of toxic masculinity where crying is not crying is seen as emasculine and terrible and horrible thing. So, um, it took me a really long time to realize that, Hey, um, these emotions actually want to come out of my body. <laughs> you know, they actually don't want to stay stuck in there and holding them back there is making me sick. So, um, well, I did go through what I, you know, thought at the time was a really unpleasant experience. I would never, uh, I would never take that back because it was an incredibly healing experience for me. Um, you know, so trying to undo the patriarchy in my own, <laughs> in my own individual way, all of that toxic masculine grossness that, that I was surrounded by growing up, um, you know, and, and it rubs off because when you live in a culture, it's like being a fish in water, you're not aware of it but you're completely surrounded by it all the time. So um, I, I do try to be aware and shamanism is, is not patriarchal at all. So um, I'm constantly surrounded by women who will keep me in line, which I appreciate. Um, you know, my teachers, female, most shamanic practitioners in the West are female and in indigenous cultures, um, men, women, and um, people of, uh, a lot of indigenous cultures recognize more than two genders. So we might consider these people like transgender or uh, what have you, they have different words for them. Um, two spirit is one that's a common native American term. So forever and ever, you know, that they have had very different ideas about gender and two spirited people make fantastic shamans because they're already living in, living in two worlds. They're already experiencing living in two worlds. Um, it's just, we don't live in a culture that has traditionally supported that, um, that way of being. And, um, it's unfortunate it's changing, but, um, you know, we obviously have work to do. We sure do. That's for sure. I never really thought about the fact that like, now that you're saying that, and as I've been kind of processing, thinking about a book that I want to write, I've been thinking about since my divorce. Right. And, how, if that didn't happen, it was a huge crisis in the moment, but if it didn't happen, yeah, I, I wouldn't be where I am today. Um, but then like having like the emotional piece of like sometimes having breakdowns and things like that and feeling it really emotional, that's not as much of a, it can be completely life-changing, mm -hmm. but it's not, I don't feel like it's a path piece versus like, like you said, the crisis piece. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, stuck emotions have to come out. They're going to come out somehow um, with, with men We're you know, frequently our culture, Western culture is like, listen, there are only two acceptable emotions. You can feel angry or you can be laughing and that's it. Nothing else is okay. And so frequently when you run into um, men who have anger control issues, um, that's a result of repressed um, trauma or or, you know, fear or sadness or grief or any of these other things. Um, 
you know, and it's really unfortunate. And it's not to say women have it any, any easier because there are also acceptable and unacceptable emotions for, for women to feel. And, um, that doesn't serve anybody like that. That is not a good thing for anybody on this planet, um, to say, it's not okay for you to feel these things. Um, cause it really, we just repress stuff and it makes us unhealthy. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, to, to your point, you know, when, when, um, you know, when I went through my divorce, it was obviously, you know, divorce is a hard thing if you haven't been through it and it doesn't matter how toxic your relationship was previously or whatever. It's the ending. Like it's, there's a grief period that you go through and all these things. And I have these thoughts, well, geez, maybe, you know, maybe getting married was a mistake or, you know, whatever, but I have two beautiful children that I love that would, that came about as a result of my marriage. And I have, you know, years of experience and, you know, the, the crisis part of it was important in, um, my spiritual growth as well. So at the time it, it stinks, right? It's, it's horrible when you're going through it. It's really uncomfortable. Um, but I can look back and say, gosh, how far have I come since then? And if I had just stayed stagnant, you know, the universe doesn't really want us to be stagnant all the time. It wants us to have equilibrium, but to have equilibrium, we kind of have to experience the full spectrum of human experience. We're in these bodies on earth for a reason. Um, you know, otherwise we just would have incarnated as spirit somewhere and been, you know, whatever, but we're experiencing everything, joy, sadness, grief, laughter, everything there is. And that's important. It's important for us to go through that range of, of human experience. You were talking about kind of trauma and that piece around like healing through that. And some of the emotions need to come out. I think and correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of shamanism or some of shamanism journeying is healing ancestral trauma. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we do. Um, we do a significant amount of ancestral work. And it's interesting. Again, shamans have been doing this for thousands of years, you know, healing up your ancestral line. And the idea is that the healing comes, spreads in both directions. So actually when you do your own healing work, it does heal your ancestors wherever they are. And I realize um, in linear time, they're dead, but in the spirit world, time is nonlinear. So um, it's weird to think about, but that's how it works. But um you know, their ancestral wounds, our ancestors have all had traumatic experiences and maybe have unhealed wounds from that. And we know, so, you know, shamans have been doing that forever, maybe hundreds of thousands of years for all we know. And, um, you know, nowadays we can see epigenetic changes in people, multiple generations down the line from a traumatic event, for example, Holocaust survivors, we can detect epigenetic changes in them in their grandkids. So two generations away from this severe trauma. And, and I know they've done experiments with um, like earthworms and some other, some other creatures that have shorter lifespans. And, you know, they have been able to detect epigenetic changes from trauma 23 generations down the line in, in animals. So, um, we are affected on every level by, by our ancestors. We get that genetic heritage and that is the physical aspect of that, but we also have spiritual DNA. Um, we have a spiritual inheritance from, from our ancestors. And so, um, it is important that we, that we do ancestral work. Um, you know, I realize people listening can't see, but directly behind me is my ancestral altar. Um, one of, one of many altars I have, I also have an altar altar problem besides my journal problem. I have an alt. I seem to create many altars, but, um, but I have an ancestral altar where I do ancestral work. And that is definitely an important aspect of shamanism. That's great. I, yeah, I'm starting to have an altar problem too. I just created, I'm just <laughs> creating another one. I have I have to make a more, a little more specific right now. They're more just kind of like places where I can go to meditate or be. Um, the funny thing is I don't really met, usually use them to, for meditation, but I love seeing them and they make me like, yeah. feel good. Um, right. But I'm creating another one outside because I had to close down the screen, my screen and porch. And I have this insulated room next to it that I'm like, oh, let's move everything over there. And I want to uh-huh. actually make more of a nature-based altar out yeah. there. Can you share a little bit about what, how you connect with nature and what, whether you bring it inside or whether you go out for it, like, what do you do 
for your connection yeah. with nature? I mean, so a little bit of both inside and outside. And, um, I do a lot of, I do a lot of things really. And, um, you know, I, I journey in nature and I journey into nature. So doing the, you know, shamanic journey, um, I hike a whole heck of a lot and just spend a lot of time outdoors. Um, I do have an, uh, I do have an outdoor altar where I make offerings to the, so we consider the spirits of the land, the spirits of the place who were here before I was here. So I'm sort of a co-tenant, um, where I live. And the more you can make peace with the spirits that are in your space. And even if you aren't aware, this is, I realize we're after Halloween, but I'm say something a little spooky. There are spirits in your house all the time. You just don't, you're just not aware of it. Um, it, the world, the world's actually crowded. If you, uh, if you get to the point where you can perceive spirit, um, it, it, there's all kinds of spirits out there. So I, you know, I make offerings and I make connections to the spirit, particularly in the place where I live, um, because they protect the property. They protect the, the people inside having a harmonious relationship with them. Um, you know, and I do everything from feeding the birds and the, the animals, to uh, leaving alterings out on the offer on the on the outdoor altar and even just talking to them, I meet with them and journey sometimes and you know ask questions and always approach them respectfully. And um, you know if I can if I can sort of give one little piece of advice to people out in nature, um, I do I will you know collect things that I find in nature a, a seashell or a rock or a feather from a bird where that you're allowed to collect the feathers from legally um but I always ask at least silently if it's okay for me to pick that object up and if I get a really clear no in my heart I'm going to leave that there um and if I get a yeah it's okay then I will then I will collect that object and that is just a sign of respect for the spirits where you are and the spirits of nature um, and sometimes I will, like, if I'm specifically going out to look for items, like I'm making a divination bundle or something, um, I will carry like a little bag of cornmeal or something with me or, or, um, tobacco or something like that, uh, depending on where I am and, um, make an offering when I, when I take something, I'll leave, take something, leave something. So shamanism is all about being in relationship with spirit and with nature and all of those things. So it's, if you're constantly taking, you're not really in a good, you're not in a happy relationship. So I often do something similar where before I enter and after I leave a place, I'll ask if I'll first ask if I can come in, right. When it comes to like starting a new trail, I might ask, am I welcome to come and join in and be on this land and then also thank the land when I leave or thank the trees yeah. as I'm walking by. I also um, feel like it's just powerful just to be able to say, like, I, I often talk about like, yes, I purchased or I have a mortgage on this house, but I talk about stewarding the land, not yeah. and right. thinking about the Native Americans that were once or the indigenous people that were once on this land. And then it was sheep land, like farmland. Right. And then. Right kind of how it progressed through, how do you, so a big thing with hike, hiking groups, right. Is like, leave no trace, take mm -hmm. only pictures. So how yeah. do you kind of balance that? Because it sounds like I'm like you, I collect a rock here and there or things like that, but it's that struggle of leaving stuff, even though you're leaving it for spirit, how does that kind of play into what yeah, I mean, I mean, it's really important. Um, yeah, to be conscious of those things um, when you're, if you're, if you're leaving an offering out for um, nature, it's important. There's lots of things to consider, right? Like you wouldn't want to uh, leave something that might spread an invasive plant species or something like that. So you wouldn't want to leave a bundle of seeds somewhere that weren't native to the area or that sort of thing. So offerings can can um, support nature or they can hinder nature. So for example, if I carried some um, bird seed with me and spread that on the ground, it's not gonna make much as, you know, as long as it's not, again, a seed of an invasive species that could potentially grow up. Um, first of all, the wildlife is gonna eat it pretty quickly and it's, you know, it's gonna make really, really no negative, no negative impact to the, to the area. So definitely things to think about. I wouldn't, um, 
you know, I would caution people. A lot of people are really into rock stacking these days, like stacking up these big rock cairns everywhere. And, you know, you'll go to a place like a, a beautiful pond in nature and there's like 150 of these rock cairns there. Um, and I get, I get, you know, people are trying to create something pretty and, and do something, but, um, the effect of that, the cumulative effect of that is really negative on nature because you're really changing, you're changing the ecosystem in a way, um, that is hard for us to see, but there are, you know, there are animals and, and all kinds of things that use that, that, that are those rocks in the positions that they're in to, um, you know, really as shelter and, and that sort of thing. So it really does affect the ecosystem. Um, you know, I, I've, you know, heard from, uh, you know, guides in different areas where they're like constantly knocking these things down. Um, if you think about it, if everybody, you know, a hundred thousand people a year go to a, a national park and, you know, half of those people make a rock cairn every year after 10 years, you're going to have 500,000 of these things. Right. So, um, you know, I would caution people against, against doing that, um, stacking rocks. Um, you know, it became, you know, when a couple people did, it was okay. But now that it's become such a big trend, um, you know, it's something I try to tell people just, you know, just observe the rocks. They're beautiful as they are. They're beautiful in the formation that they're in and nature did that. So take a nice picture. You know, you don't have to leave something like that behind. You don't have to, you don't have to carve into a tree or, um, you know, break up a deep beaver dam or, you know, something, something like that. So just be, be really mindful about what you collect and what you leave. Um, but it's a very, very good point about the hiking groups, um, take nothing but pictures. And, you know, I do, I do collect stuff, but I'm very careful about it. Mm -hmm. Well, and like you said, you're asking permission and you're not, I, I agree with the rock stacking. I know there's some that like the people that kind of steward that land, right? The people that are there that are helping keeping the trails up and things like that, they might create the cairns that are there above tree line that help direct right. you. Trail and, markers but, and things. Yeah. yeah. But so many people are doing it and then thinking about the fact that there could be an ant home under there or there could be mm-hmm. other creatures that are like being getting away from the warmth, the cold, right? And they're huddling right. under the rocks or finding ways to whatever they're, so you're disrupting their, pretty much taking their home away. Um, and I, the same thing goes for, I feel with the painted rocks that are, people are mm-hmm. putting out in nature that like you come across and. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that paint doesn't belong there. Right. And even if it's completely non-toxic, there are things in that paint that don't, that don't belong there. So, and again, nature there's so much beauty. There's so much beauty. If you look at a single leaf and you look at it really closely, um, there's so much beauty there or a blade of grass or anything. If you just examine it, if you just take time or whatever, we don't have to alter nature to make it more beautiful. In fact, we can't really alter nature to make it more beautiful. It's beautiful as it is. Um, so, you know, painting rocks or, you know, stacking rocks or, or painting trees or what, what have carving into trees, um, does not improve the view <laughs> in my opinion, in my strong opinion, it does not improve the view. In fact, it can be, can be harmful. So, um, absolutely. I'm right there with you. We can have that opinion on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So do you have a couple tips kind of for the listeners around how to, whether it be connecting with shamanism or connecting to spirituality or connecting to nature or all three, cause they all relate, um, really well, but what are a few tips they can do today? If they were kind of listening to this podcast and figuring, hmm, I, I, I want to dive into something almost like, what can I include into my day? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I, so I have a, a couple of couple of ideas about spirituality. One is that um, spirituality or spiritual activity is really anything that makes us feel connected to something greater than ourselves. So that leaves a lot of room for a lot of different activities. Even people who are non-spiritual or material, materialist atheists can have what I would consider spiritual experiences by being connected to community or connected to um, nature, 
um, without the, without the, you know, nature spirit aspect of that, if that's not something that aligns with them. And so, um, you know, that's idea number one, that all of these activities can be spiritual. And idea number two is that the deeper you go into anything, the more spiritual it becomes. So if you watch somebody who is really fantastic at archery or somebody who's really fantastic at painting or somebody who's a virtuoso, virtuoso musician, when they're performing, when they're doing what they're really deep into, they're having a spiritual experience in that they're really, really connected. And so, you know, my first piece of advice is find that thing you're passionate about and go as deep into it as you possibly can until you step into flow, right? Until you feel, and that takes time. It does take time to do that, but oh, is it worth it? It's so worth it to do that. Um, so there, there is that. And then the other piece of advice I would offer is really slow down um, and this is sort of comes from the mi mindfulness practice, really slow down and use your senses as best you can. So some of us have, I'm wearing glasses, for example. So, um, you know, you know, I have, you know, some limitations on my site, but you know, whatever senses you have, take a minute, go out into nature, um, sit down in a chair and, you know, a, a lawn chair and, um, blindfold yourself if, if it's safe to do so, or close your eyes and just go deep into your sense of hearing, um, or smell, um, you know, look at everything, particularly in nature, look at a leaf and examine every detail of it really closely and just slow down and forget, forget all the other stuff that's going on at, for a few minutes. It'll still be there when you come back, your life, your job, your mortgage, your, all of these things, It'll still be there waiting for you. So set it aside for a moment and take a few moments and really go deep into your senses. They're really a pathway into your, an, an easy pathway into your spirit. So, um, and as far as connecting with shamanism, you know, my advice, my advice goes, you know, read, read a bit about it, talk to a practitioner. Um, if it's something you feel like you want to study, um, you know, try a short-term mentorship or intro class before you dive into something like a multi-year apprenticeship. Um, because it's not a path for everybody. It, it isn't, it can be, it can be rough for some people. So figure out if you like it, but if you do, um, dive in with both feet or jump in with both feet, I guess you would dive in head first and jump in with both feet, but, um, dive right in because it is, uh, it is a never ending path and it is, uh, a, a tree that bears much fruit. Your feet go with you either way. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> feet in your head kind of hopefully stay attached. So, yeah. I like that. Um, all those are amazing kind of ideas and suggestions. One of the things we do when I do the mindful outdoor guide practices is we will um, ask people, well, let's say, if you want, you can leave your worries on the ground over here and we'll pick them up on the way down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and so it's like, you're just leaving them there, knowing that they're, they're in that pile and you can come back uh -huh. and get them. And a lot of times people never want to pick them back up <laughs> when they leave. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I always do. Um, so when I teach intro, I usually teach that as a two day class. And, uh, I noticed after a while of, you know, after, you know, teaching that for maybe a couple of years that, um, the second day, a lot of people were coming back and having, like, it was stirring stuff up in them is bringing, bringing crap up, you know, to use a, a terrible term, but it was bringing their junk up and, um, you know, it was making it harder sometimes for people to go through the second day of training, which is really, in, you know, much more intense than the first day, but it's just because it was the first time they had opened themselves up spiritually that way. So I now incorporate a meditation, which, you know, has people, you know, essentially stick that stuff into a suitcase temporarily and put it behind them. So very similar very similar kind of thing. And then it sort of clears the space for the work that they're doing. So yeah, good, good, um, good tip there. Leave it on the ground or put it behind you and just do what you're doing. Go into what you're doing as deeply as you can. And the, and the rewards are, are almost indescribable. I love the idea of a suitcase too, because that can be used anywhere, right? It's like you're going, getting ready for a meditation put it, put your worries in a suitcase or put your worries up like in another up on a top shelf. Right. Or yeah. Yeah. You can always go back and get them, but yeah, they'll, they'll be there safe. Nobody's going to take those. So, you know, they'll be there for you if you want them. 
during my training to become a mindful outdoor guide, we had to, we spent the day on the land um, mm-hmm. and we could go anywhere as long as we, um, we had like a certain time frame, Right. And so I went to a local kind of preserve over here in New Hampshire. And um, I say over here, cause you know, we're not that far away. Right. Right. <laughs> and, um, and we spent six hours or I spent six hours on the land and maybe went a couple miles because we slow, we had to slow down so much. Kind of like you were saying, like taking a break, we've, um, it was also incorporated into like have sit spots where you just sit and you're in that space and you're just taking it in and experiencing it with your eyes open. And then you would walk and you do like Fox walk, right? So you're walking super slow, mm-hmm. as quiet as possible, and those kind of things. And like you said, going so deep in that that's when the messages come, right? right. It's like right. I remember my feet were hurting at one point, and it was just like, oh, they're so painful because I was barefoot. And I heard the message, look up, stop focusing on your feet. And it's mm-hmm. like right when I did that, they stopped hurting. Yeah. Yeah. You're really plugged in at that point. Right. And that reminds me of the shamanic vision quest where you would go sit in nature for days, maybe, um, in a single spot and just sit there. That's the whole goal of, of that. And eventually, um, eventually visions will come, right. That's the idea of the vision quest is to go out and, and, um, shut down, shut down the, the stuff that's interfering. Cause we're, we're, we're all getting that information all the time, but our, we're so busy with our thoughts. We're so busy with what's going on that we're not, uh, we're not really tuned into it. So I think everybody's intuitive and everybody gets messages from spirit all the time, but it takes a little bit of practice sometimes to, to receive that and, and, and process it and that sort of thing. So you said vision quests are there. So I've always wanted to do one. I've been fascinated with doing a vision quest. Cause right. It's like, that's where you go out. your you're fasting for a few days. Yep. Um, are there different types of vision quests or, cause you said shaman vision quests. I know somebody recently, I know that did one, I think she went down in New Jersey. I don't know whether it was, are there different types or are they all based off of shamanism? Um, yeah, I'm not, I, I'm not an expert in vision quests. Um, it is, I'll say this, it's primarily that term as a native American spiritual term. And I'm not I don't, uh, I don't teach Native American spiritual practice or practice Native American spiritual practice or know enough about, I should know more, but I don't know enough about it. Um, but what I, so I, so I'm not totally sure, but what I do know is that, um, if you, if you are going to participate in, in a vision quest or, or any really physically extreme ceremony, like sweat lodge or vision quest or that sort of thing, um, you definitely want to find somebody who knows what they're doing to lead that because there are physical dangers to those, to those practices, obviously. And you need somebody who, um, can safely take care of you during that time. Um, you know, there have been, have been some unfortunate instances. I have not done a vision quest, but I have, I have taken part, I have been invited into a sweat lodge and have done that. And, done some other ceremonies, but because I am not, uh, I'm not connected with an indigenous culture. I don't, um, I try not to culturally appropriate and teach, teach those things or pretend to teach those things or whatever. So I don't know, unfortunately, I don't know a whole lot about it, but there probably are different things that people are calling vision quests and similar because shamanic practices are common all over the world. And, go back as far, you know, into prehistory, we have cave paintings of shamanic activity from tens of thousands of years ago. So as you know, so there, there are things that are in common. So there's probably practices like that all over the world, and they probably differ based on cultural context. You and I could talk for hours. So I'm going <laughs> to, <laughs> we can do this again and I can be on your podcast. We'll just keep talking. Yeah. yeah. We'll you got to come on my podcast next. That's the Continue next thing. The conversation. So where yeah. can my, where can the listeners find you? I know you mentioned things, but can you give us yeah. like your handle and I will put it in the show notes as well, but. Yeah. I mean, the, the easiest way to find all my stuff is through my website, which is Maine shaman, M-A-I-N-E-S-H-A-M-A-N.com. Uh, it's got links to my YouTube channel and my podcast is there and everything else you might possibly want. And, and you can feel free to contact me there. If anything today brings up a question about, um, shamanism or, or anything that I've talked about, people can, uh, I'm pretty open book, um, might take me a day or two to respond to questions, but, um, 
depending on how, how busy the season is, I'm incredibly busy right now, but, uh, um, happy to, happy to do that. Um, and, uh, yeah. So that, and they that's, could find, they could find you through Instagram on there as well. Cause I know you've been pretty more active on Instagram as well. Yes. Um, yeah. So yeah, my Instagram is there. I have a, I have, gosh, I have everything. Um, I've got a Facebook page, an Instagram page, a YouTube channel, a podcast. Um, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of stuff there. <laughs> um, I can't, wait to hear, I can't wait to see your book and things like that. So we'll definitely like link to your app as well in the show notes, but yeah, very cool. thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been a great conversation. And like I said, you're now you owe me one. You have to come on my podcast. Will for sure. What an amazing interview with John. Thank you so much for being here, John, and for all of you for tuning in to the Save by Mother Earth podcast, sending you off with much love and for finding happiness and connection in your life every day.